Hello and welcome to a special Who's He podcast with me, Phil. And on this week's show, we're going to discuss Doctor Who podcasting. Is it still relevant? And joining me for this special is one quarter of the very much missed Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> it's James Rockliffe. Hi, James. Oh, hello, Phil. Hello, everybody. Much missed. Thank you. That's very sweet of you. <laughs> Not sure if it's true. But... Well, I think it was. It was a big shock when, um, when the sort of like it was announced you you were winding up the podcast. So, um... yeah, it, it feels like a long time to be honest with you. And I really have to make a bit of an effort to try and remember what it felt like to make that decision. Um, I I think my overriding memory is we made it too late. We should have, <laughs> we should have um, ended it probably a year or so before we actually did because despite the fact it was doing well um, and it's always good to speak to other people on the show, I think it did become a bit of a chore and uh, our experience of actually watching the show on television changed a lot. And you didn't really realise it, I think, until we could just watch the show without having to do anything after it. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you find that, that was that was the problem for you then? That it was sort of you were watching Doctor Who without actually enjoying it for what it was. You always had your reviewing head on all the time. I think we were well. We became aware that the experience was different. Uh, watching the show as podcasters was different to that of the regular fan and I think we began to feel as though we were missing out uh, a little mm. um, and, and and certainly I, I I kept on trying to think of things to say uh, about the show as I was watching it and um, I, I think that was certainly one element to it and when you tried to put the recording um, sessions together in terms of logistics and, and because we quite deliberately set ourselves up as an international podcast mm. um, it, it, it became difficult on every level it was difficult to talk about the show objectively it was difficult to organize the recording sessions it was difficult to produce the kind of show we wanted to to a consistent level every week yeah um, and eventually the whole thing did begin to feel as I said before, a bit a bit like um, unwanted homework. And, and therefore, we just made a decision to go out when we knew we were producing a, a popular show as opposed to just dwindle and go on hiatus and then come back again a little bit later and then have two episodes and keep on relaunching. We just didn't want to do that. So it was always going to be a definitive um, end once, once we've made the call. So you never thought sort of like to, I mean, like we did, we were a, a weekly podcast at one time, um, mm. but then we sort of reached a point where we're now putting out an episode every other week um, just to give us a bit of a, an extended break. Because obviously um, my situation at home has, has changed in the last few years um, with, yeah, with having yes. children. So that, that does eat, eat into your own sort of like hobby time, if you, if you want to call podcasting a, a hobby, which it should be really, I feel. Um I don't think it should ever become, uh, how can I put it, sort of like a, a business or a factory. You're, you're just churning it out for the sake of it, you know. So It's it's, it's a really interesting point, actually. And I think one of the things um, that sprung to mind when you told me what it was that you wanted to discuss today, podcasting in fandom, uh, yeah. one of the headings that I jotted down was drivers. Mm. Uh, what What is it that actually makes you want to podcast? Uh, and I think certainly within the Doctor Who podcasting community, there is very very evidently a range of different reasons as to why people sit in front of their computer um to get their views out there yeah um we we never really had uh, an, an agenda um it was it was very much a case of we all enjoy talking about doctor who um and we just wanted to see how 
recording our discussions evolved would people be interested and so on um, and we only really went into comedy sketches and so on when we, we, we realised that people were liking the dynamic that we had um, because we were always arguing <laughs> with each other <laughs> um, which uh, again wasn't wasn't deliberate um, but certainly as time went on we started examining the friction between our, our views in a very very friendly way mm. He adds uh, later, but but yes, you're right. Uh, I, I I do agree with you. Uh, it was always a hobby from our point of view. I'm very very skeptical of shows that try to raise money or even solicit uh, donations. Um, I, I think well, if I were to play golf as a hobby, would I really go online and ask people to help me buy a nine iron? I, I it just doesn't really feel right to me. But, no, you know. I, I know exactly where you're coming from there because I I do see. You know, adverts going out from sort of certain quarters asking for you know for donations to do. You know, if you donate to this, we will do this special podcast for you. Which I always thought, well, if you if you need money for it, why are you doing it? Really, if you know, it's always I always feel it's a case of if, if you want to do it, do it. Yeah, um, I, I think it's different where it comes to charity fundraisers. There was that a is, very high yes, profile. Yes. Um, I was going to say scheme. It wasn't really a scheme. It was just an initiative which a lot of the American podcasters kicked off. Uh, yeah, the Who, Who Against, Against Guns. Guns. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. If they've got access to some really high-profile big names in Doctor Who, uh, in the Doctor Who world, um, and they're prepared to record a commentary for the War Games, then go for it. I think that's a really good thing. Yeah. The thing that I, I do get concerned about is where people clearly have a social agenda mm. and use Doctor Who to promote it and, and, and gain an audience and I, th- I think um, again it's I, I don't I don't object to it it's just not really something that I understand um, I think if, if you have a social agenda or you have a point that you really want to promulgate mm. um, and you think you're not going to get any traction or no one's going to listen to it if you just sit there and talk about that particular issue and I kind of don't like Doctor Who or any other show being hijacked in order to gain a voice uh, to, to, to promote that kind of um, thinking and I, I do have a few issues with some uh, of the shows because they don't really discuss Doctor Who they discuss various different issues that are prevalent in society today uh, using Doctor Who as a base and I think when you've got some extremely negative things happening in the world having Doctor Who front and centre doesn't always help it um, and it's not really the way I uh, celebrate fandom and certainly wasn't on my um, list of objectives if you like when we set up uh, our show no um i mean mine neither i think it was a you know a case we just you know um we just enjoy walking watching doctor who it's something we've watched since we were children and i mean okay we could just as easily discuss doctor who down the pub without all this you know <laughs> fancy recording equipment we've now sort of like purchased ourselves so um yeah, I think it's just sort of like, I think it's that enjoyment and, and, and hopefully people do enjoy that conversation as well. I think that that's always the way we've looked at it um, and certainly not from a point of view of we need, we've got a message we want to put across to anybody, you know, yeah, you know, if, yeah, if they yeah. listen, they listen, if they enjoy it, that that's all, that's all the better. If they don't, then fine. You know, I'm not, um, you know, we're not out to impress anybody here really. 
No. <laughs> um, although it's nice when people are impressed. Yes, it I, is. I, 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 it won't, is. Uh, I won't deny that. But it, it's interesting hearing what you say, because both you and I are the generation where, you know, when Doctor Who was popular, when we were getting into it, if we'd seriously suggested going down a pub to talk about Doctor Who, then frankly, <laughs> it would have been um, really, really um, derided, or the whole suggestion of that just simply wouldn't have been accepted. Um, because watching Doctor Who was, you know, certainly in the late 70s and early 80s in the UK, was a solitary thing. It was, yes. Uh, and, and, and unless you were heavily into things like um, Dwass and uh, you used to go down the Fitzroy Tavern and things along those lines, which, you know, there's such a small percentage of fans who even knew about them, yes, alone that's right. um, partook in them. Um, so I think, in a way, sitting here talking into a microphone that's plugged into a computer where you've actually got a human voice coming back to you through your earphones, but you are ostensibly still on your own, mm. is a very Doctor Who fan thing, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's, it's it just kind of feels right. And, uh, you know, you still got your the privacy of, well, in my case, I'm, I'm totally naked in my bedroom. So. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit too much information, but, but it is a hot day after all. So. <laughs> it was also a lie. <laughs> well, there's a few listeners very really disappointed there. So, <laughs> Well, actually, I was thinking back to when, um, when I certainly first started podcasting uh, back in 2011 now. Um, there were quite a few Doctor Who podcasts out there because we joined the, the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance, which I think your podcast was a member of mm. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I sort of lost count the amount of podcasts that were existed at the time and, and the ones that come along after uh, we came about as well. Um, and it was quite amazing to see how many there were. And we actually thought it's quite a crowded marketplace here. Yeah. <laughs> um, did did you find that at the time? Did you find that it was sort of like this? This was the thing to do, uh, you know, back in back in. I say it's not. It's only seven years ago. Um, it seems quite a long time now. But did you feel that that was the thing to everybody wanted to do a Doctor Who podcast and everyone sort of jumping on the bandwagon? Um, there, there was an element of that, I think, yeah, but it wasn't really prevalent when we got involved. Um, mm. I, I think if you were to talk about um, podcasts at the time, so back in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, when we were we were getting up and running, then mm. you know, I, I think a lot of fans had heard of Podshock and possibly. Uh, Doctor Who online, yeah. Um, but um, but in terms of the various different subjects that you know, hundreds of different shows cover now. Mm. Um, no, there, it, it was nothing like that. Um, I mean, we, we were talking about five or six shows, um, and we were thinking, "Oh, wow, yeah, this is this is becoming a crowded marketplace." And you you look at the the, the list of shows that have signed up to the DWPA uh, mm. now, and it, it's 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 got to be over a hundred. It was over a hundred. I think probably three or four years ago when I last looked at it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think that's a major issue in all honesty because it's uh, you know people do diversify their shows, and despite the fact they discuss the same thing, you've got a variety of different people talking. And as in all of these things, you know, you look at um, uh, a social circle on Facebook, or if you look at a social circle in the pub, as you said, you've always got some voices there, you know, uh, that are very distinct. Mm. And I think those are the ones that stand out. And I think that's true of any kind of fandom, not just Doctor Who fandom. And uh, I, I don't know, I think where you're fortunate enough to have a bunch of people who can articulate themselves and can on occasion be funny and engaging, then 
perhaps it doesn't matter what you discuss about the show. Perhaps it's just a dynamic that you create and that's what people tune into. I think you, you've hit on something there because I think the, the most popular podcasts seem to have that, um, that, that element where the, the hosts do just gel with one another yeah. and they've got that natural rapport. And I think where they... It's usually sort of like those sort of podcasts where it's set up by friends who have known each other for, for a good many years and they know what the other's going to say all the time. So there's there's no dead air as as, as such, um, and the conversation isn't usually isn't stilted, um, and unless you know one one person's come from a completely different angle to the other, you know, for argument's sake, one absolutely loves it, the other one absolutely hates it, and they they sort of <laughs> absolutely apoplectic with rage, <laughs> they can't articulate themselves very well, yeah. you know. So, um, but I think that that is very very important. Um, but I, I was going to say that there's a few podcast that sort of set up around about the same time as we did and and, and came after and I've just fallen by the wayside now yeah. I think there's an element of they didn't quite know what they were going to do with the show with you know with their own podcast they had no real idea they couldn't sort of really run with it and let it sort of evolve um I mean ours did we had no clue what we were doing at the beginning um <laughs> you know and some might argue we still don't but um but we, we did sort of allow it to evolve. We, we've sort of got a format now that we stick to. Um, and I think it kind of, you know, we think that's what people have, have enjoyed listening to. Um, but I think with some of the other podcasts that came sort of came and went, they didn't really understand what the, what they were doing or just lost interest. Now, do you think the, the advent of things like social media, because Facebook and Twitter weren't really as big that that meant sort of like you know so that say like seven years ago when I start, started podcasting, um, they weren't really that big and there weren't a sort of lot of sort of Doctor Who groups or any sort of like Star Wars or whatever it might be whatever whatever you know the fandom you're into um, and it does appear to have taken over to a certain degree because people just engage there it kind of replaced forums now as well I know like Gallifrey Base is still a, a, a big thing for Doctor Who fans. Um, but in other aspects, I think everyone just dies onto Facebook and, and Twitter and you've got that immediate engagement. Do you think that yeah. that's sort of contributed at all? Partly. Partly, I think. And, and again, you kind of make the assumption there, I think, that, um, that podcasting is on the, on the wane. And I, I'm not entirely certain that's true. I just think it, it, it shifts itself in the, in the consciousness of fandom. Um, and, I, and I think <laughs> you're certainly right. Uh, certainly initially, when we got started, it was a, you know, a, a radio show that you can record yourself and yep. no one edits you and no, one, no one's going to tell you not to say that you know it, it's exciting and it's new and it's great and, and and five six years on all of a sudden you know people are videoing themselves uh, people are editing videos and uh, mm. people are moving on and they're interacting and, and getting their views out there in ways that frankly I don't understand um, you know <laughs> with snapchat and insta chat or snap book or whatever it's called yeah uh, stuff that both you and i frankly are going to be terrified about because we both have daughters <laughs> below the age of 10 years old you know in, in another five or six years you'll be explaining podcasts in the way that our parents explained tin baths to us in the war you know it's uh, <laughs> it, it, it's all about um the way things move on and the way people interact uh and, and nothing really stays the same and, and podcasting is no different. Uh, I, it's very transient. Um, and I do think um, 
it depends. If you got into it early and you come up with a form, format that people plugged into and one of your drivers, as we were talking about earlier, is, is to have a lot of downloads and to get a lot of traction, to be known out there, mm. um, that's what you're doing it for, then I would say it's quite hard to let go. Whereas if you've got all of those objectives and yet you single-handedly fail to gain any kind of <laughs> voice in the market, you don't enjoy it, you, you know, <laughs> you've got six listeners, four of whom you're pretty certain don't actually listen to it or download it properly you know it's slightly different um so i I think podcasting is has its place in the doctor who uh, world of of, of fandom but i I don't think it's seen as um you know as as front and center as it certainly was i would suggest um you know in 2010 to 2000 say 13 14 um the uh the fanzines have gone, um, and I think you know the the only ones that exist really are there for nostalgic purposes. Uh, and I think the same thing will happen almost certainly with uh, with podcasting until we I don't know uh, can take advantage of the next incredibly innovative development in technology and perhaps all meet as holograms in the Fitzroy Tavern. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's all changed now, of course, as well, isn't it? The Fitzroy Tavern, I don't think. That's the thing of the film as well, because I think that, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, because I haven't been to the Fitzroy Tavern for, on, on you know, the, the first Thursday of the month meet for a, a long, long time now. Um, we'll have to do it, Phil. We'll have to actually go and see each other in person. I promise to put some clothes on. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> Really optional. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I was, I was going to say that I'm, I'm not entirely sure how big those meets are each month now. I don't, I don't know oh, if that sort know. of kind of sort of slipped over the years as well. Because they had that sort of that hiatus where, where the pub was being um, redecorated, um, and now it's sort of um, apparently I haven't set foot in there at, to, be, to be honest. But so I understand it's been split into different rooms now. Mm. Um, yes, I've not been there either. No. But I've heard the same, uh, and I understand the spit and sawdust and all the kind of stuff that uh, Doctor Who fans liked, um, <laughs> and perhaps were synonymous with, uh, are no longer there because they've cleaned it up a bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, but having said that, I I've still got some friends who are slightly more involved in the show who do go along, mm. um, and and I think perhaps people just go for their own little gatherings uh, at the same point. Each, each 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 time I'm, I'm guessing a little bit but uh, but that's the one thing that um i mean we're talking about evidence of certain ways of celebrating fandom changing and transitioning over the years you look at the way that has developed and um, my first visit to the fitzroy was uh early 90s it was when the um when the new adventures were the the big new thing mm. and you had all of these young fresh authors paul cornell was there gareth roberts craig hinton you know all all of uh, all of the old um, virgin alumni yeah really uh, which we are now alumni and um you know that's that that has tw- changed and dwindled um having said that every now and again you you see pictures tweeted by i don't know tom spilsbury um rings a bell maybe a year or so ago where he's met Stephen Moffat and a few other writers down there and you think oh god I should have been there you know so it I, I just don't know maybe, maybe things just come and go in cycles simple as that I think yeah I, I think for me really I think the do you think that that sort of that those sort of writers or people connected to the show don't really engage um with with with, mm. with fans in place like the Fitzroy Tavern now because of the way fandom has changed, because we, we said earlier on, people have got um, like a um, some sort of message they want to put across, and they seem to focus that message onto Doctor Who, 
and do you think they sort of would kind of do that because of things like Twitter? You see people leave Twitter because they've been abused by so-called fans um, on, that, on that social media platform. Do you think that's why they don't engage with fans in those sort of locations because of that kind of thing? They're scared or afraid well, that's going to happen. You know, they're going to get a group of people just hounding them for whatever reason, you know. Yeah. I mean, you put it this way, it's certainly not going to make them want to go, is it? No, uh, whether, no. Whether or not that's what's driven them away um, from a regular me, I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, I, You know, logic suggests that, you know, you would keep away at all costs. Um, the last <laughs> thing you want to do is discuss, if you happen to be the showrunner, how badly a certain element of fandom think you write female characters. Why would you want to go and discuss that with fans? Um, you know, whereas when I went there, you know, in the 90s, mm. these kind of things weren't prevalent, um, you know, and you can argue that's actually a bad thing because you could say Doctor Who isn't necessarily, you know... Um, portraying or reflecting society um you know whereas television these days generally does you can't really make a show without at least trying uh, to have some point of view on uh, on the way society works um but i'm i, I honestly don't know uh, i i put it this way i if i was an incredibly successful tv writer uh, regardless <laughs> whether it's doctor who or anything that has a cult following I think I'd, I'd 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 go back to what I used to do when I was a Doctor Who fan in the eighties, which was to sit in my bedroom and not speak to anybody. <laughs> I, 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 I think it would be I think it would be terrifying, um, and I think it actually requires quite a skill now um, just just to handle your public. Um, and, and and Stephen Moffat is he, he, not he's not an actor no you know he's 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 not a famous director even. Um, he he is a writer. He, he, and yet he is thrust uh, on the stage at some of these events. I think he enjoys it now. Uh, but my goodness, you know, what, what a strange set of skills you've got to have now in order to write Doctor Who. <laughs> you know, you, you've got to be able to handle some some very odd people. Uh, and I probably <laughs> class myself in that, in that bracket as well. I, I think I would always be concerned if I saw me rushing towards someone in a pub with a microphone. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I must admit, I've never been brave enough to do that. I don't think I ever would, actually. I always, always felt it was a bit of an imposition to, <laughs> to start rushing well, up to someone with a microphone. But. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, even at conventions, I think, where technically these guys are fair game, it's not a natural thing to do. No. To approach a stranger and ask them to go on records. And, you know, it does take a certain kind of individual, perhaps, uh, <laughs> to have the guts to do it and then actually produce something that, um, you know, you can listen to and you can understand it. That's it. Well, I think the... Um, as you're talking about sort of interviewing people to, you know, connected to the show, um, I mean... Last year was was the first I went to the Hooverville convention, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I, I really did, and I've got the chance to interview um, some some people while I was there as well. But what I've listened to previous like, Hooverville interviews has been a, a, a sort of sport for choice for podcasters, um, sort of all vying for attention to, and they'd be doubling up or trebling up sometimes to interview people connected to the show. Um, but last year, there were very, very few. There was only myself, Staggering Stories, and uh, Tim's Take On, I think, were basically it. Right. Um, it was quite a sort of... Um, I was quite surprised. There was, there was no, yeah. you know, hardly anyone there. And I think, again, it's a case of where podcasters have just dwindled or they're just not interested anymore or, you know, as I say, family commitments take over. 
that kind of thing. And you, you may well be right, but I think the real question there is, is, is why isn't anyone taking their place? Um, and, mm. and, and there, I think you've probably got some evidence to say podcasting is on the decline um, because you know if, if people still want to get their voice out there, they're obviously finding other ways of doing it. Yeah. Um, I, I went to Hooverville. I went to the first three. Mm. Um, so again, a long time ago, and I've not been been to any since. And you're one hundred percent correct. It's a, an incredibly podcast friendly event. It is. And that was that was deliberately set up that way uh, by, by Steve Hatcher. And uh, again, Hooverville Ten, I think, is running. Yes, it is. Late, later on, it is indeed. Year. Um, but yeah, I interviewed some people there as well. I've interviewed on stage. I think it was at Hooverville Three, mm. and uh, it's um, it, it gives you that great access. Um, but also, it, it does go into slightly different territory. And I know we're going back here a little to the um, conversation we had at the top of the show mm. as, as to why people get into podcasting. Um, but again, I think some people it is to try and get a bit of a platform. Um, and, and, and they use, I think, um, the conventions to try and gain that status. And again, I think you can you can understand why they do that. Hooverville was quite funny in that regard because you had a bunch of podcasters thrushed or thrushed. <laughs> not even a word. <laughs> but they were they were uh, they were pushed or, or or kind of contained in a single room. Mm. Um, all of which are saying, "Well, I kind of like to interview Nicola Bryant. Do you want to interview Nicola Bryant? No, I'll, I'll interview Nicola Bryant. Don't worry, I'll let's." I'll I'll interview and you can sit to one side then you can ask some questions it just didn't work um, <laughs> the interviews were good but in terms of actually getting um people uh, recordings or interviews for their show which ultimately when you start a podcast mm. you don't really want to come out with shared content you want to develop your own yes that's right um, yeah and, you know so it's, it's really quite funny seeing this conflict because you're at this convention where you if, if you weren't there, you wouldn't have access to these individuals, and yet you're there with a whole bunch of other people who are, all, who are there for the same reason as you. <laughs> um, and that's why I think, you know, you look at the American model, really, and uh, Gallifrey initially had Podshock as the um, official podcast, and now Radio Free Scaro. Uh, uh, I think they've been doing it for about six or seven that's years That's right, now. yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the only real way it can, it can work, because those interviews that come out of Gallifrey uh, that Stephen does mainly are absolutely brilliant. Mm. They are very, very good, um, and and I think if that were just to be, I don't know, shared with eighty or so other podcasters, it would just be a mess. Um, I yeah. mean, people would still quite enjoy it, perhaps, but this this is it. You see, you get one person really who comes up with the idea of how these things work. And, um, you know, you kind of get a compromise, really. But I think three podcasts, as you described, is probably about the right number. Well, to be honest, <laughs> it, it did work, actually, to be honest, rather well. Um, but the the first in interview I did was on, it was a solo effort. Um, I don't know if any nobody wanted to do it or uh, that was, that was, well, it was with Philip <laughs> Who Hin was it? It was Philip Hinchcliffe. Oh, no, I mean, you, no one else wanted to speak to him. Well, I, I think because because there was so few podcasters there, nobody was seeing what was happening on stage or enjoying the convention as a whole. <laughs> so um, I, I, I got nominated to the interview with Philip Hinchcliffe, and I thought, okay, and I thought, is anyone else going to join me? No. Bugger, right? So I was absolutely messing myself, to be honest. I was so nervous. I really was. It was Phil and Phil. Yeah, it was. That was a bit of awkward introduction, to be honest. But, um, but oh, I can imagine that but, uh, but But to be honest, I managed to, managed to do a half-hour interview um, uh, with, with him, and it went it went fine. You know, I was, I was, I was quite happy with, with the result. 
Um, but I think later on in the day, we did other interviews with other people as, as a joint effort. Um, and I think it worked really well because you, weren't, you didn't have a lot of people vying for attention. It was quite as quite a, a sort of focused group of people conducting an interview, um, and so I think the, the fewer voices you have in that in that kind of scenario, I think it, it works. If you're if you're going to have a, a multiple podcast, so you can't have eighty voices all all vying it, for attention. It's tricky, isn't yeah, it? it is. No, yeah, it, it, and, and you've got this thing. I mean, you have an interview. The intention or the objective of that interview is to listen to the person you are speaking to. Yeah. If you have six other people who all want to get a question in at least, then the proportion <laughs> of time <laughs> uh, the interviewee is going to get, obviously, is going to be drastically reduced. And I, th- I think it's... Um, you, you've got to do it carefully, and you need some skilled podcasters uh, or, or people who can you know, still give the interviewee the platform that clearly they they deserve and mm. frankly listeners yes they, they, they i think they really do want to hear what happens on the show rather than um someone interviewing them asking insightful questions and uh, again it because half the time it's difficult to do that yeah <laughs> uh, but, but i think also um it, it's 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 quite hard if you have people having again different objectives. Um, what I generally tried to do was, if you, you use football as an analogy, was you allow the interviewee to do keepy uppy as much as possible, mm. and every time they drop it, all you do is throw the ball back to them, and off they go again. And I think if you can use that approach with your interviewing style, yeah. Um, and again, there's there's a couple out there I think who, who who do it really well. Then that's that's the key to a really successful interview with minimal amounts of editing required. Yes. I agree. I totally agree. Um, as, as as you quite rightly said, they want to hear the interviewee, um, you know, talking. They don't want to hear the interviewer constantly butting in or, or or just holding court because you know I'm I'm talking to a star of the show now and it's my chance to show off. Um, that's that's not what people tune in for. It really isn't. So no, you know, no, no. it's um, no. I, I I do agree. I do agree. Um, well, I was going to um, sort of come back to though when um, you were doing the interviews, um, did you sort of find yourself? And I think this is a, maybe a, a trap that some sort of interviewers fall into, and podcasts is really this is what we're really talking about. Um, it's asking the same questions <laughs> over and over. Did you did you find yourself falling into into that that sort that that kind of trap? Um, possibly. I mean, I, it, it's hard to say. I never asked. A question that hadn't been asked twenty times before mm. of anyone, uh, but again, you don't. It, it, it's not really the question that matters. It's it's the nature of the conversation. Yeah, and and I think if you know, there are various different techniques for interviewing, and you know, again, I say this now is because I considered it after I've interviewed you know a, a, a ton of people really. Mm. But at the time, and I remember my first interview viewee who was Anique Wills, I had absolutely no plan no strategy whatsoever and on top of it my heart was absolutely going out of clappers because I'd I'd never spoken uh, really to to anyone remotely famous certainly not one of my childhood heroes and it was really daunting Mm. Um, but in in terms of asking questions I I had about three or four points that I wanted to cover yeah Um, and and I think if, if you talk vaguely around those subjects 
um, unless they're a really bad interviewee, uh, and there are a couple out there, I'll tell you, um, <laughs> then, then actually they just do all the talking. Yeah. Uh, but I, th- there was a couple that I really did struggle with. And uh, as you can tell, I'm... I, I talk to anybody. Uh, it, the, the trick with me is getting me to be quiet. But <laughs> I, I, when you're interviewing, um, and you have the you have that kind of um, obligation to keep things going and sound natural, mm. and you have someone who answers you in monotone. Oh God, it was difficult. Uh, and I don't really want to name any names. No, no, of course not. But, but, I, but I did in the past. <laughs> <laughs> I have it there. It is, but my thoughts are out there only because I, I just said it's impossible to interview that person. Either that, <laughs> I, I, either that or my, my skills are absolutely dire. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think you've you, you got to do your research. Um, mm-hmm. you, you need to try and gain the respect of the person that you're speaking to. Um, unless, of course, you're interviewing last minute where you you tell that individual, look, I didn't know I was going to be speaking to you and therefore I'm not going to ask you any insightful questions. But let's just have a chat about your time on who. And that generally works. Um, but if you can find something uh, that's still interesting to... Um, a who audience mm. um, that doesn't actually focus directly on Doctor Who, then those are the real gem areas, I think, that interviewees like to be asked about. So uh, a production that they've been in that happened to star um, a Doctor Who uh, colleague or another star, so you can ask them about what that was like working working with them, or indeed if they got a job um, on Doctor Who through a producer of a different show who then went on to produce or direct... Um, Doctor Who. So those those were little little areas I used to try and find so that I didn't keep asking the same thing. Yeah, no, it's it's an important thing to do. It's, it's just as you say, it, it's as you say, it's more about the conversation. And I think that's I think that they're they're the kind of podcasts I like to listen to as well. Hmm. Really, it, it's we yeah. listen to have a conversation rather than just like a a question answer session. Really, yeah. which is which I, I, is I easy to do. Really, you know, I I think it is. It's it, it also. I think it depends a lot of the time on on what kind of individual you are, and I think um, I mean if you listen to someone like Gary Russell, who is a is is, is one of the best Doctor Who interviewers I think um, fandom has ever produced, and I and I do think fandom produced Gary Russell mainly, <laughs> um, but uh, but I I think he is very natural, um, and again he didn't get it straight away. It was through years and years of developing this natural technique where he just listened to what the interviewee was saying and then carried on a conversation, never had any notes. And and advocated this as the way to interview. I think it's a way to interview. Mm. Um, uh, when I've when I've gone on stage, I've interviewed Louise Jameson two or three times at various different conventions now, and the second or third time, I didn't have any notes because I knew her and I knew how to get some stuff. Uh, you know, how to get her talking about certain areas. Yeah. But initially, I still had a list. But I, you know, th- th- there are there are certain individuals who will say. If you have a list, you cannot possibly have a natural conversation. It's simply not true. It, it, it's, it's the technique. Um, I, I think you need to develop your own technique, and uh, that is what people will buy into. So long as you're comfortable with the conversation, that whether you write notes on the table or on your arm, or uh, <laughs> if you just give yourself um, someone in the audience who holds up signs to say, cover this area, you're still going to get a good result at the end of it. I think. Yeah, I, I, I think you should say the, the list is there just to... Um, I th- certainly when I've when I've done it, it's, it's a case of, well, it, it's not there to be used as such I might sort of pick one of them to sort of kick the conversation off and let it go from there and if it begins to falter then I might fall back onto that list again yeah 
yeah. You know, it's quite a lot of snobbery out there, you know. Certainly within Doctor Who podcasting, I think, are people saying, well, actually, I think the way I interview is really good. This is what you do. Um, and if you, if you look at it as an approach to an exam... You know, uh, the people who do the best generally revise, research and get prepared for mm. that particular um, uh, test. And that test can go one of two ways. And um, your result will depend on how you react to any curved ball. That's right. Thrown at you. Yeah. And, and that is entirely true of an interview. If you go onto stage and you think I can do with anything. I'm not going to do any. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to do any um, research or, or or think about it. I will actually name one. There was a brilliant interview, and it's still online. It's worth having a listen to. Mm. Who was the chap, uh, Phil? I'm going to ask you a question. Oh, go on. Who was the chap who played um, Edward Canton Delaware or whatever his name was from season six? Oh, the American um, chap. Mark Mark, Mark Shepard. That's it, Mark Shepard. Yeah. He was interviewed, and I, I genuinely can't remember who it was by. Um, and one of, the, one of the terrible things you can do when you interview, you can ask a question, and then you say, is it A, or was it B? Oh, dear. Right? <laughs> now, it's, uh, most, most interviewees actually are all right with that, because yeah. they'll still answer anyway. Whereas Mark Shepard just goes, why are you restraining me to two possible answers or constraining <laughs> me? And do you know what? All that was was a lack of research, because he'd done it several times in the past. You could tell that he hated closed option questions. Yeah, And that's the kind of thing that I think you've really got to be a little bit you know, savvy about. And because uh, it comes across as not showing respect. Again, unless you don't have the time to do it. You didn't know the interview was going to take place. And again, your response has to be, well, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for limiting you. But please give me something I can put out that doesn't sound like you're angry with me. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, I've, I've heard him in other, um, with sort of probably more seasoned interviewers with Mark, with Mark Shepard. And... Mm. Um, he has been a bit snippy on occasion. Yeah, there were some people. Who, well, I've got to ask you: Is there anyone who you would refuse to interview if you had the opportunity? Oh wow! Um, do you know what? As strange as it may seem, um, probably Stephen Moffat. Because, really? Yeah, because I think he would just run, you know, run rings around me. And, but he's not aggressive, though, is he? Well, you don't have to well, worry about um, him having a n- Not what I experienced at Gallifrey this year. So, Oh, OK. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, 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 um, they had like the, the usual open mic where um, people from the audience come up and ask him questions, and he would just shut people down. Wow. Yeah, it, it was, it was um, on a few occasions, there were quite a few sharp intakes of breath. Um, on, on some of the responses, so and Edward Russell was was sort of like moderating, mm, mm. Um, and, and Edward tried to keep it fairly <laughs> fairly light hearted, um, but no, he he wasn't taking any prisoners that day. Um, wow! Yeah, okay. so I, I was a little bit. I thought, yeah, if I ever got the opportunity, and I did actually stand next to him in the bar later on, like, like a day or so later, um, and I was no, I'm not going to say anything. I, I he was standing on his own. I had my opportunity to say. You know, I was I was absolutely no. I'm just going to leave you leave you be. Um, you know, I I, I I don't really want to have my head bitten off. I don't want to sort of <laughs> you know sully sully the uh, the the, uh, the weekend at all. So. <laughs> I think I'd have had difficulty not speaking to someone. Um, and again, at least I suppose, depending on how you'd handle it. Let's say he did take your head off in a way that you'd you, you'd hoped he wouldn't. But yeah. You've got a vehicle <laughs> to, to, to to make your air or, or your your views about that. 
um, known. Um, and I think I really quite enjoy that. I, mean, I've, I, I haven't had a bad interview experience, I have to say. I did turn down Tom Baker because I did not have a clue how to interview him. And I have heard so many car crashes. Yeah. Um, you know, not so much of late, I have to say. Um, there's an absolutely brilliant one. I think it was Tom at 80 by Nick Briggs. Uh, again, you can get it for a couple of quid off the big... Yes, yeah, so I, I bought that signed by Tom Baker as well, actually. Oh, so, yeah. It, isn't it good? It's fantastic. It's, 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 it's one of the best couple of it's the best time i think i've ever had listening to to tom baker he's not being silly he's he's not talking about existential reasons for being you know uh, but he, he's just being relaxed and, and 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 well he comes across i know he's an actor he comes across as normal whereas <laughs> i don't know 10 years ago i mean you start looking at things like the tom baker years that was released on double vhs all those years ago and you could tell he was just taking the mick yeah you know, to, to to the point where he was deliberately misremembering things. I've heard him be interviewed by other podcasters who he's absolutely screwed up, chewed up, <laughs> and spat out. You know, yeah. and I have a feeling that um, I would re- respond badly, and I, I don't mean angrily. I just, I just don't know what I. No, I think that the same. I think I just fold. I really would. Yeah. I just, you know, if it was. Um, Fine if if it's like a Skype conversation, you can sort of hide your embarrassment a bit more. But if you're if you're on stage and you people have seen you physically shrink, um, I think it's <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it would be hard. No, I think I'd, I'd shy away from it. A, a big con like a, a galley, anyone who is contentious. Yeah, I mean, I, I spoke to Terence Dix over the phone, um, mm. and that was tough. Yeah, and the reason for that was because I got a lot of stuff wrong, and not 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 about him, mm. but about television in general. So, for example, I I asked him questions um, about script editing, yeah, um, uh, and, and producing and directing, and each time I got something wrong, like for instance, talking about camera angles for someone who was producing. I'm I'm coming up with a silly example to make a point uh, he would be on it instantaneously yeah um and and the point at which i think i started talking about his rolling you know preparing to transition eras or to transition doctors he he had a couple of sharp intakes of breath and said i didn't have anything to do with that that was barry let's and you know he, he was uh, that that's where i started editing a bit out <laughs> <laughs> because it sounds like i'm getting into trouble <laughs> but uh yeah, so I, I don't know. I think it can be quite a, um, a rewarding experience, and I know certainly after speaking to Bernard Cribbins and stuff, you know, I've I've, I've been really quite glowing. Um, but I think it can work the other way as as well. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think you're right. Now, I, I was going to say, sort of, we haven't sort of really reached a decision. Really, is is Doctor Who podcasting still relevant? And I think you know, I think it kind of is really um whether there's much of a future in it um as you say in this current format as we said we, we don't really know but have you have you missed podcasting uh what listening to them or recording recording them? um honestly no now why is no. that why is why, why have you because say it, it was you did it for a number of years didn't you and yeah. uh, it's always that thing you, you sort of give it up it's always like did you have withdrawal symptoms or something like that right. No, no. Uh, I, I, I'm incredibly proud of what we did. Yeah. And I, I still go back and I listen to those shows occasionally now. Um, but it's, it's, which you could say, it's very narcissistic of me. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but I, I am proud. We built what we described, probably um, 
probably inaccurately, but we, we, we felt we built a brand. Um, people knew who we were. We enjoyed it. We liked arguing. We had absolutely nothing that was off the table, so we could talk about anything. Yeah. Um, which you really don't have an option when you record with Trev. You have to talk about absolutely anything. Um, but... I, I got to the point where I just didn't care about what other people thought about my views. Um, mm. And eventually I thought, do you know what? I don't like that. I don't really want to explain it. Or if I do want to explain why, then I will explain why. But I don't want to have to back it up if someone disagrees with it. Mm. You know, so I, I, I've i been watching Doctor Who and to a degree, lots of other shows as well. And just coming to my own conclusions um, and, and not not really being concerned or invested in what anybody else thinks. Um, that's certainly one reason, um, and probably the main reason as to why I don't miss it. Yeah. But the other side is logistical stuff, and uh, you know, again, very much the same kind of things that you talked about earlier. Uh, I've got a young family now. I have other things to do. I've developed other interests as well, and life moves on as well as podcasting. So. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do think there is a place for podcasting. I think its impact is probably less on fandom than it used to be. Yeah. Um, and I think people who are really trying to um, make a name for themselves um, or, or become you know professionals using Doctor Who podcasting as the main springboard into that arena or career, um, they've got to be very, very fortunate to do it. I mean, you never say never. True, <laughs> There's always going to be some people um, who, who make it successfully, but others, I think it's, it, it, it's, a pos- it, it's very easy to start thinking um, it's really, really, really important when actually it's a hobby, as you said, and it really is no more important in most cases than playing eight in-holes at a weekend. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I've got to be honest, I do get anxious where I don't put out an episode, for argument's sake. <laughs> I, do, I must admit, I do get anxious from that, from that point of view. It's, it's still a hobby, but it's just because I just enjoy doing it so much. Well, that's that's perfect. And you know, again, enjoyment and fun has got to be the chief uh, motivator for anyone. Got to be. And I think yeah. where that starts giving way to anything else, whether it's a sense of duty to your listeners, or um, you know, you're you're so used to the routine of record, edit, publish, record, edit, publish. You know, where fun is secondary to anything else then I don't think you're going to create a decent show. And also, I think there's something fundamentally wrong with your priorities. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know, I think that's a very good phrase to um, end the podcast on, actually, James. <laughs> so, okay. well, so I say thank you so much for um, coming out of your enforced retirement to, uh, to talk to me today. So <laughs> it's, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance.